This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. On December 2nd, 2014, Giving Tuesday, as it's called, a reaction to Black Friday and Cyber Monday, I had the chance of sponsoring a great event that GiveQuick put on, and I met Jason and Jorge there while they were putting on a, a live event that went along with Giving Tuesday where they were showcasing great nonprofits and sharing different stories about the day. Welcome to episode 24 where I do a, a sort of post-mortem about the event, but then we also discuss with both Jason and Jorge. We discuss things like crowd giving and philanthropy, days of giving, and the Chase Community Giving Challenge. Let me get your names. I'm over here in this, this Impact Hub office, a really fun environment. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Jason Rosado, and I'm founder and CEO of GiveQuick Inc. My name is Jorge Fontanez. I'm an advisor to GiveQuick and work as a brand and marketing strategist. Great. So let's start off with what is GiveQuick aside from something that sounds like I can give quick through. GiveQuick is a mission-driven technology company that connects uh, causes, companies, and communities. Um, And to put it a bit more in layman's terms, we help companies give away money. Um, And we make it easier for them to get more people involved, such as their employees and their customers in the uh, philanthropic decision-making process. Whereas in the past, uh, too many cooks would spoil the broth if you ask too many people to get involved in a decision as to where a company's philanthropy should go. Now with technology, better user experience, mobile apps, social media, you can involve thousands if not millions of individuals in the decision. Gotcha, so the the field of giving is uh, ideally growing and we've seen some growth you know, out of things like Giving Tuesday, which we'll get to in a second. I'm curious a bit more about your platform and what are the metrics you're looking toward that would indicate you're having some success? Mm-hmm. There are, it is a crowded space with respect to online giving um, and crowdfunding and fundraising. So, and we started out in that space and realized how crowded it was and uh, pivoted towards away from fundraising and more towards philanthropy, where we created a distinction between fundraising being going from zero to raising 50K. And philanthropy is having 50K and getting down to zero. Um, and we've identified operate opportunities for efficiencies for companies to be more efficient uh, with their philanthropy in order to get more people involved. So uh, basics of our metrics include active engagement, um, how many users are involved in the decision-making process, the resonance on social media, uh, so you know, your typical social media metrics such as shares and um, and reach and active accounts. Uh, we have our own account system, so we track how many accounts uh, are created as a result of this campaign, as well as we have our own ecosystem, so how deep an individual can get into the ecosystem to learn and discover more causes that they help the company support. Gotcha. And I was introduced to you both through the world of Giving Tuesday, which started in 2012 significantly grew in 2013 and 
Can you tell us a bit about what your thought was approaching 2014 on December 2nd, what you were trying to do with Giving Tuesday? Yeah, Giving Tuesday, uh, Global Day of Giving, uh, the first Tuesday after Black Friday and Cyber Monday, um, being a giving and philanthropy company, um, we sort of looked at it as our Christmas, <laughs> in the sense of, you know, if you're in this space, you should have a presence on this day. Um, primarily, it's a social media phenomenon, um, whereas um, most of giving traditionally has been an offline experience, a visual, uh, sorry, not a visual, more of an experiential, in-person, write the check, shake the hand, hug each other experience. Online giving's been great for accelerating the experience of giving, but it sort of removes the interpersonal interactivity. So when we looked at Giving Tuesday, we uh, are, were excited by the idea and baffled by the idea that no one had yet added an in-person component uh, to the celebration of giving. Um, and so we wanted to create an event tied to an online experience that would bring people together, make decisions together, um, and make an impact. So this is like, you know, Walmart saying, forget this Cyber Monday thing, let's get people lined out in front of the store. So you're bringing, you're bringing the Black Friday back into Cyber Monday. <laughs> yeah, a little less fisticuffs. <laughs> Although, you know, what, what I think we thought was compelling about Giving Tuesday is that it has grown as a conversation over the last, you know, the first three years that it had been in place. The number of nonprofits involved has uh, doubled or more than doubled. Uh, the number of individuals sort of pledging to give on Giving Tuesday has also increased substantially, and the actual dollar amount uh, has also increased. But one of the main problems that we thought about from a user experience is discovering which nonprofits to actually give to. So there's a great conversation happening around Giving Tuesday, but for many users, or in this case, potential donors, the opportunity to give is as good as having a relationship with a nonprofit. And that was another reason that we thought tying the platform experience with an event experience would be interesting to test because it might get donors closer to nonprofits and use storytelling in a more compelling way than me figuring it out on my own on my computer. Gotcha. So you have this convening and saying, like you just said, the relationship as a true asset that not-for-profits are getting. And so would you say the, actually, I'll pause on that and say, can you describe in a bit more detail what the event actually was and, and how it went, some of the numbers behind it? Sure. So we set up an event here at the Impact Hub, which is a co-working space uh, for impact companies for uh, for-profit social ventures and non-profits. Um, it's a beautiful three-floor loft space in Tribeca, um, just begging for an event. Um, and we sat down with the organizers of the co-working space and actually sat down with Indiegogo as well, who were also thinking about having an event on this date, and we hashed out uh, what that would be. Um, and so what we did was we said, let's work together to find campaigns on Indiegogo that are raising money under their Giving Tuesday program. Um, let's find nonprofits that are working out of the Impact Hub and let's look at the some of the nonprofits that already signed up for GiveQuick and see who would want to participate in a, in a live sort of pitch showcase 
um, of nonprofits, each give, giving each of them two minutes of time um, and five uh, highly visual slides with some impact statements. And let's have start with 42, but then let the crowd decide the top 10 or 12 that would actually pitch at the event. Um, so we had a stage, uh, two big uh, flat screens on that stage as well, projecting the uh, voting experience that the people in the audience could follow along with on their mobile apps or people out in, on the interwebs can follow through a live stream um, that was captured by one of our partners. And we had you know, food and drink and music in the background and we tried to create it sort of an interactive TED-style salon event where we would uh, sit and stand and watch these great, compelling, inspirational pitches from nonprofits and then make a decision together as to where, where and how to allocate $5,000. It's great. Um, and I don't know how the idea came about. I don't know if you were just looking at the space and you recognized an opportunity, but it was, a, it was an undertaking. So you had the live stream, you had you know, a couple hundred people here in the room. Uh, what were some of the numbers that you ended up getting, I guess, with regard to either donation or viewers or that level of impact? We had close to uh, 300 people uh, here in the building. Uh, we had almost uh, 300,000 people uh, connected in through social media, through our website. We received in about 12 hours 7,500 individual votes uh, into our system. Um, we had uh, a ton of impact in terms of how we accounted for um, the lives touched. Uh, so. Uh, 2,600 uh, youth and people were touched, and, and when I touched physically, but you know, their lives were changed as a result of, of the actions that we made on that date. Over 1,000 volunteer hours were supported, 21 skills were developed, um, and uh, through Indiegogo, primarily uh, over $600,000 was donated. Um, we had two mechanisms and calls to action for donations. One, uh, give quick focus on corporate donations and larger value donations through, through corporate sponsorships, and then Indiegogo focused on uh, some of the individual donations that were occurring through crowdfunding. So this is a good time to just share some quick clips from the Giving Tuesday event. Okay, woo, that's a lot of money. <laughs> okay, so. And we offer a solution. If they can't go to school, we're going to bring school to them. We created the world's largest crowdsourced repository of free and offline usable educational content. We then preloaded this content onto this super power efficient $50 tablet. One in three kids lives below the federal poverty line, and we all know that many, many more kids live at the edges. In the neighborhoods where we serve, only one in 10 students graduates ready for college. This is something that we have to address and this is what Teach for America does every day. Yeah, I would just add, you know, for, as we think about uh, learnings from this pilot event, um, some of the metrics that we think will be even more compelling is using the event um, particularly for cor a corporate audience to engage employees. So it was interesting that for a first-time event, getting 300 people in a room, you know, I think we all know, can be a challenge, um, particularly for that time of year. But what was interesting is it was quite 
it was an energetic crowd. They were very engaged. And I think for corporations or companies that are interested in using that time of year to acknowledge uh, employee ambassadors, those who have spent time during the year to volunteer, this could be a great way to connect an organization with these nonprofits in a, in a more deep uh, way um, through, through the event. Um, I think also looking forward at, you know, sort of metrics, um, you know, the idea of um, how many impressions an event like this could complement the conversations around Giving Tuesday. So Giving Tuesday tweets, you know, probably are in the millions in terms of hashtag. We had our own unique hashtag for New York City in real life to distinguish ourselves. And that combination of hashtags reached over five, a half a million people uh, through social media. So there's, we believe there's something there that we can take to, to more cities uh, and potentially bring in more partners next year. So you're saying there could be multiple live streams. So just as like New Year's, we're watching the ball drop in, you know, in California, in New York, and mm -hmm. we're Definitely. Uh, seeing this happen. So you're, you're really uh, going to go take another crack at it. Well, yeah, I think uh, aligned with the Impact Hub, which is a global network of co-working spaces, there's a co-working space in D.C., in San Francisco, in Berkeley, I think there's one coming up in Chicago, they're in Madrid, etc. We could align ourselves that way. Um, but also we're looking at, uh, or we looked at the event itself as a as a first iteration or prototype of an event-based implementation. So, so we're talking to other conferences as well that would convene a bunch of people together and to use this as a tool to say, hey, we're all together here at, for example, South by Southwest. Let's make an impact together. Here's three quick stories on nonprofits. Everyone pull out your phones and vote uh, together as to where uh, our philanthropy should go. So this notion that grant making should happen behind closed doors and made by decisions of less than five people, um, we want to throw that out and open the door and say, now you can get thousands of people involved. And if you get thousands of people involved, those thousands of people will be talking about um, the decision they helped make. And if your brand is insinuated in that, it's an excellent opportunity. Gotcha. So let me take a step back. And first off, I love this idea of growing this concept. Uh, we started, though, with uh, the seed of Giving Tuesday and an assumption that day of giving is a good thing one focused day of just, you know, insane, just take out your credit card and go to town, partially based on it worked for the commercial industry with, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Why do you think this is a good idea with regard to giving? And are there any sort of nagging in the back of your mind? Maybe this isn't the best thing. That's a great question. I think that, uh, I think Giving Tuesday is just one day. Um, I think it's it's like Thanksgiving, it's that one big day, or Christmas, like that one big day. But we actually are focused on multiple days. Um, there's a movement now to reclaim Valentine's Day and call it Generosity Day, uh, led by uh, folks from the Acumen Fund. We're looking at opportunities to align ourselves there. Um, there are things in third and f in second quarter that we'd align, uh, like to align. The Super Bowl, for example. Um, Well-known statistic that large... Uh, incidences of domestic violence occurred during the Super Bowl. Let's reclaim that and say, let's create a day of action and giving to support nonprofits that, that uh, promote the uh, elimination of domestic violence. So. 
I feel compelled to jump in here in order to maintain the truthiness of our podcasts. While Jason is right that the Super Bowl is going to experience a high amount of domestic violence, it's no higher than other holidays. The myth that the Super Bowl is the highest day of domestic violence actually comes from a misstated quote in a California press conference in 1993. It was then, you know, picked up and carried by many news headlines and television talk shows. Ultimately, you know, holidays and times when families uh, with domestic issues and violence problems are are together, you're going to have increased amounts of domestic violence. So, you know, while that is true for the Super Bowl, it is no different for other holidays at home. And now back to the podcast. We want to be where the events and the people are as a technology to allow decisions to occur. Um, there is plenty of movement now, such as uh, companies like Dollar a Day and Give and Google's approach to try to get philanthropy at, more into a daily experience. They even uh, insinuating giving in places where it hasn't been before, such as you know commercial purchases like Tom's. Um, as a platform, we want to support the insinuation of giving um, and help other companies be the Tom's of their sectors, so that giving moves away from just being one day in fourth quarter into a daily experience and if not daily at least monthly or quarterly um, and uh, pertinent to whatever event is going on in that in that particular time and space yeah you know I agree with the opportunity my take on giving Tuesday as a in, as an initiative is that it has created for some nonprofits particularly smaller organizations with limited resources some angst because it, in addition to their traditional fundraising activities, whether it's their annual gala or their year-end fundraising, which we all see as being the peak season for that time of giving, there's a choice that many nonprofits are having to make as to whether to extend their resources to do anything related to Giving Tuesday with the risk of it detracting from their giving. And so... Part of that opportunity, I think, around Giving Tuesday is for the community to continue to collaborate, in a sense. And that's another way that I think of this event was able to demonstrate the ability of partners like Whole Whale and Radish Lab and Indiegogo and GiveQuick, in this case, to understand how do we play well together, all for the benefit of the nonprofits, so that we can... um, the, the, the analogy that uh, Jason uses that I always get wrong, rising tides lift all boats. I think it sinks everybody. <laughs> I think we're talking about a Noah situation. If you build an ark and you put snakes in yes. it, I think you're okay. Okay, somehow I picture Samuel L. Jackson in there with the snakes, but I don't know why. <laughs> those are planes. Those also, rising tide does nothing to all planes. That's the saying. Well, there you go. <laughs> but you mentioned a good yeah. point. Let's say I am a time-strapped nonprofit. I know, hard to imagine. Yeah. Uh, I've got a limited staff and energy, and I just said for the all of November, everybody, it's all hands on deck for this just one day, and the day is over. Did we make a positive ROI on our time? What would, what would be your thought on that? Well, I would actually venture to say that that objective is short-sighted. I think that a one-day, unless it's truly an experience where there's an exchange happening between the nonprofit and the funders, uh, is, a, is, a, is a really hard thing for many nonprofits to do. 
I think the secret also for larger nonprofits is those that are getting the PR lift on that day are doing a lot of work, as you say, in November mm -hmm. in order to make that one day more successful. But it has to happen. It either happens. So I think there's two approaches. One is you accelerate your fundraising activities and you use Giving Tuesday as a celebration point because it's the peak of when you see fundraising dollars come in. But for many others, Giving Tuesday was the launch for their year end. So I want to come back to an idea that you brought up uh, already, Jason, about having the crowd decide where money goes and there was like a hint of disdain there of like there's like an ivory tower somewhere where you know you've got a small group of people making decisions for a large amount of money and in in jason's world uh what percent of uh, giving will say not individual but what percent of the foundation and corporate giving would be done by a small group versus crowd is this a hundred percent world is this like five percent I mean, I'm an ex-banker, so I'm always going to uh, rely on the 80-20 rule. Um, so 80, let's assume 80% uh, is giving away at least 20% of their money or vice versa, 20%. It's giving away 80%. I think that what I remember from my days in banking is getting uh, the email from some faraway corporate marketing land that said, hey, we just gave away a million dollars to XYZ.org. And me feeling distinctly saying, so what? I had nothing to do with that process. And if you asked me, I would have given it to prepforprep.org or abc.org, etc. Um, and why didn't you ask me? I would have loved to participate in that decision. So I think that uh, with, the, with our platform and the way that technology can be utilized today, um, the problem with foundations, at least not corporate foundations, but uh, smaller sort of private foundations is that they got to work on the 80-20 rule as well in a sense of 80% of their time to focus on 20% of this uh, distribution and they just don't have the time to say, hey, you know what, we have a million dollars, let's give away 10 grants of $100,000 or 100 grants of $10,000, etc. Um, they simply don't have the time to make those decisions where they can plug into the crowd though and say, hey, we want to give away this large amount of money crowd help us decide and let's do it not in the, in, you know, the time period that we have that we can get the board together, but rather let's do it over a six month period um, and have these campaigns or have, drive the campaigns associated with the specific dates and times and events at Giving Tuesday, etc. Um, to sort of break it down into smaller numbers to achieve greater impact and benefit from that by getting more nonprofits involved in, in the campaign and getting promotion associated with the campaign and engagement. Uh, from constituents of the nonprofits to get more resonance related to this decision. So we'll say foundations aside. So we'll put you know foundation aside. They're they've got their own process. And by the way, Gates Foundation gives away basically half of all of that money. Mm -hmm. That aside, we are talking about corporate giving. And what makes you a little bit nervous is when a corporation says, uh, "Let's throw a dart at the wall that kind of aligns with our organization and just give a ton of money." forgetting the employee engagement and the upside that can happen happen there and that's where you see that is the opportunity to have the not necessarily the crowd but the employees decide exactly exactly so our one of our major corporate clients is a top four global professional services firm for two years running now we've helped them engage their employees in deciding how to give away 1.5 million dollars and we work with nonprofits to gather their stories and create a voting experience with their employees with zero keystrokes we were to come in 
review uh, stories of nonprofits, watch videos, look at pictures, read mission statements, and look at impact impact accounting statements and make a decision. Uh, the problem, what that's typically been called, especially in the corporate giving space, is checkbox philanthropy, and it's you know, looked you know, look upon disdainfully. What I've been saying is that the problem with checkbox philanthropy is that it's literally a checkbox, right? It's a name and a box. And what that undermines is the fact that, one, it's the end user wants that experience, wants it to be as simple as yes or no. But the problem with the checkbox is it's literally that box and the name, right? It doesn't convey the impact of that decision. It doesn't show the picture of that young child whose life you're gonna change as a result of your simple decision. It doesn't show the mission that's gonna be fulfilled in real time as related to just your decision. So we're trying to explode that experience and make it possible for these stories to be there when the decision is made. And that is great for a brand. Um, that is something that you know, brands want to have their, um, their logos next to. And when we look at <clears throat> matching gift transactions inside of corporate giving, that's the closest uh, incidence of a company saying, hey, employee, you have a decision in the process, but you got to put your skin in the game first, and then we'll match you. Um, that's great, but um, actually great research coming out of Harvard Business School shows that um, doing what we're doing, which is companies saying, hey, here's a large sum of money, get involved in the decision versus matching gifts, exponentially uh, increases the happiness associated uh, with the brand or with the employer uh, by the employee. It's interesting. Um, yeah, the matching gift thing has been obviously around for a long time, and then that is a version of that, but I can see once you lower the barrier of like, and you don't have to put any of your own money in, suddenly it makes you feel like you're playing with the house's money exactly. as if you went to Vegas and they said, here are your chips, sir. You know, isn't that nice? Plus, and ironically, the matching gift transaction for corporate giving is the, I would argue, the single transaction that every company wants everyone to know about. Right? When your company gives $1,000 to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, for example, there's a reason why that big check ceremony exists, right? But that big check ceremony, with all the noise that's out on social media now, that that type of one-off ceremony has about a day's worth of resonance. Versus creating a campaign such as what Jorge ran for several years at Chase, the community giving program, which gets tons of people involved, active engagement, promotion on nonprofits, is fantastic for the brand, which Jorge can, can attest to. That's the kind of opportunity that companies have with respect to matching gifts to say, you can turn your individual employees into cause marketing ambassadors for all the transactions that you involve them with. They can turn around and say, hey friends, look at how awesome my company is. They gave me $250 to give away. Where should I give it? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, you know, may, I can split it up into you know, $10 increments. Tell me where I should give this money to. So when we're talking about the, the choice of making uh, for, is it just the folks, the CEO, C-level of the company, or is it the employees, is the primary uh, outcome here that we're trying to achieve, is it employee and brand, employee, employee satisfaction, and brand sort of awareness, or is it to a better sort of impact with regard to a dollar well spent on the right type of organization in the right type of way? Which do you feel is the primary? Well, if I'm talking to my corporate clients, it's going to be the former. I mean, let, let's look at it from a purely uh, revenue-generating uh, employee satisfaction perspective. You want your brand in good places, 
Uh, you want people to be happy with your brand. You want your employees to be productive. This is a good reason to do it. When we're talking to the nonprofits, we're saying you want to partner with more corporate sponsors. And these corporate sponsors are expecting you to provide data and due diligence and compliance information on a professional level. Um, and they want these stories. They want to put their logo next to your great pictures that you're capturing when you're fulfilling your mission. Um, and so we're trying to support, we basically have created this ecosystem where we're raising the level of professionalism with respect to reporting and storytelling for nonprofits, getting it on par with what corporate sponsors want, need uh, to promote and supplement their cause marketing. Yeah, and I think that's an honest way to, to look at it and leads me into a question, I guess, Jorge, maybe you see where I'm going in the, the vetting question mm -hmm. and using a social following as a proxy for on-the-ground impact efficiency, which is a loaded term, but you were involved with uh, uh, Chase, Chase, Community Giving. Chase Community Giving Challenge. Can you tell us a little bit about the Chase Community Giving Challenge? Sure. So it's interesting because um, this discussion brings up a theory uh, that I think is an important uh, thing to think about with respect to where we are today in crowdfunding and fundraising and philanthropy in general, which is, of course, the influence of social media. So Chase Community Giving was effectively this partnership between Facebook and Chase coming out of the financial crisis. And looking back, I think that the technology leapfrogged where many corporations were comfortable playing. And what I mean by that is um, social media did help facilitate for not just for JP Morgan Chase, but for many other brands um, to engage the public in philanthropic giving. Many of the larger programs, and we're talking Pepsi Refresh, American Express had its own programs, Home Depot weighed in, there were a number of really big brands that were spending a lot of money actually building their own proprietary technology also to work with the likes of, of Facebook and Twitter and others so that the technology could work. Um, but it is almost as if by going out to the public, the employees were not taken along the way. And I think that's a big lesson learned for many brands is just because the technology exists. And by the way, I think this space is now maturing. Um, it doesn't mean we have to go off and, and do it. And so how do we bring, I think many brands are asking this question, how do we bring our employees along the way? Which is the position I think GiveQuick in particular is really um, well positioned for uh, offering a service to brands because we're thinking about that problem statement of how the C-suite can connect with employees first before going out to the public. They can ultimately be the biggest advocates for any grant giving program. So that's interesting. You carry into this, Jorge. The you know, kudos to to Chase also for really charging out there like a bull into an untested china shop and saying, <laughs> right. "Hey, everybody in the world, start voting on these things." And right. by the way, there's going to be issues of you know voting fraud that come up. There's going to be issues of a lot of bridesmaids meeting. Never, you know, always the bridesmaid, never a bride right. with regard to, I'm more, sorry, you're just out of the money. Right. More winners than losers, yeah. yeah. Or less, less, more losers than winners, I guess is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And especially when we then factor in this idea of how much time I put into the process of getting my audience involved, getting to go out there and vote. So you now approach it with the mindset of it's not just 
the crowd in general. It is the crowd with regard to our organization. Correct. For our yeah. yeah. And that gives a better sense of community and responsibility. And also in your design, I noticed that um, the way you structured it was a distribution of, of money, which I think was, was pretty responsible with regard to, we're going to raise X and then some, yes, we are going to have our, our winners, but everyone's going to get a piece of the pie if you were participating in this. Yeah, we, we, we pride ourselves on the flexibility of our platform and want to create campaigns that are, uh, can be more rapidly deployed. So in the case of Chase, it was a, it was a big program that happened once through, uh, for a short amount of time throughout the year for a large amount of money. Whereas we're saying you can take that large amount of money and create smaller campaigns. The problem with the, the Chase community giving program, it was a great program, but where you said that the number of bridesmaids and only one bride when you can create smaller campaigns and you can distribute the money to more places. So it becomes more of a value add to the nonprofit to say, oh, I'm in a campaign with nine other nonprofits. That means that I have a higher likelihood that I may win this money. So if I'm gonna activate my network and hit them overhead to ask them for votes, there's gonna be some more credible payback than if I'm one of 150,000 and I barely moved the needle. Um, so we're trying to tell companies that, you know, Let's look at the bigger picture. You can make a big, large campaign and do it once in the fourth quarter. You can do four campaigns for smaller amounts of money, or you can even break it down into daily campaigns if you want to and align it with um, campaigns to encourage adoption of particular products. So it could say, hey, download this app, and for downloading this app, you can participate in this campaign and let us know where a portion of our philanthropy should go. Um, things that you know the GoDaddies of the world have been doing for years or... Um, uh, Survey Monkey have said, you know, if you sign up, we'll let you donate a portion of our profits to charity, and here's a voting experience for you. And we're just trying to make that a lot more compelling. Yeah. So you're able to now sort of vet the crowd, so to speak, who's going to be making the decision on this. Uh, on the other side, how are you choosing the not for profits involved mm -hmm. in that'll be shown to companies? Mm -hmm. Most of it's driven by our corporate clients. Um, so we're you know, very client focused in the sense of who are you working with already? We can bring a value add of consultation um, and let them know, hey, here's 10 nonprofits that are addressing breast cancer awareness. Here's another 10 that address domestic violence. Here's their, uh, here are their ratings on Charity Navigator. Here are their ratings on GuideStar. We're not as interested in trying to be another GuideStar or Charity Navigator to do the vetting. Um, those organizations do that really well. We consider those that information the information that we can plug into our process. Um, the way we look at our approach is uh, using a baseball card analogy. Um, when a company is looking to initiate a cause marketing uh, campaign and they're looking to increase their scale of causes that they might align with, their go-to place today is a guide star or charity navigator. And typically they, those two organizations will give you the back of the baseball card, right? The statistics, the data, the 990 data, et cetera. What's most compelling for most people is the front of the baseball card, the action shot, the story, the person, the face. Uh, we're saying that we can provide both. We can get the back end data, mission statement, impact statements, 990 data, uh, tax ID information, et cetera, all the basic blocking and tackling and we get the stories and we're with overemphasis on the stories because at the end of the day from a brand perspective that's really what you want you don't want to put your brand next to a spreadsheet you want to put your brand next to a compelling highly visual image that tells a story um, and we work with nonprofits to do both so we've got a front of a baseball card analogy that i really like uh, the 
question then becomes, I've got a dimly lit picture of Ken Griffey, and I've got a bright new Derek Jeter. Well lit, as always. I think the sun just shines on him anywhere he goes. He must pay extra for that. When we're talking about not-for-profits that have this front of the baseball card, there's a couple elements that feed into it. One, I will come back to, is the social equity. I'm kind of checking out how many Facebook fans and followers and people that they can kind of broadcast to. And, and two is, how quickly can I tell their story? And that, as you said, is now going to become the rubric for making a decision. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a good thing. I think it's in tune with the technology of today. You got smartphones with you know double-digit uh, pixel resolution. Uh, you can capture stories in the moment. You can use the Facebooks of the world to um, get real-time feedback on what are better pictures than others. Obviously, the number of likes you get on the picture of one versus the other uh, can be indicative of that. That feeds into the A-B testing that the more um, savvy nonprofits are doing with their direct marketing campaign. That is also something we're exploring to see if that's a service that we could provide to say, hey, nonprofits, these are the stories you're providing to us. These are the stories that we're pushing out into these campaigns. These are the, these are the images that are making people want to say yes. Um, and you can take that information back and push it back to your email marketing and say, here's that picture you need to see to make you want to give. Um, so the storytelling devices are now in the hands of just about everyone. You don't need a eight millimeter you know, camera and a high tech. I mean, look at the device you have here just to capture this, uh, this podcast. It's all accessible uh, to the average consumer. And the younger generation, the digital natives, the millennials are the ones that are the most savvy um, about using this equipment and are being able, you know, are savvy about posting that in real time. And that's um, the, what we tell nonprofits as well as there's an increased emphasis on metrics, right? And it's all about the spreadsheets and the data and the impact, et cetera. And how you counteract that is by telling a better story. Like you can have uh, maybe metrics for fourth quarter that aren't as impressive as third quarter, but you, and you can have that picture of that child that you've impacted this month. Uh, you don't want to have one without the other. Um, and so you should be using those tools to capture those stories. I agree also that the, the imagery might help elevate the conversation before an individual looks at the statistics around number of followers, number of fans. I think there's, you know, there's some psychology that plays into fundraising, right? Whereas there are a lot of people giving to this nonprofit, so I should be giving to it as well. And if we do our jobs right, we're giving more nonprofits an even playing field for those that aren't as savvy in social media or just don't have a strong social media following, but maybe have great supporters offline. So how are you giving uh, an equal playing field? Because I'm willing to say that my picture of Precious the Kitten behind a, a little Adopt Me sign <laughs> is going to beat anybody else in the market. Right? Like, the ASPCA wins. Right. The local animal shelter is going to win oh, this yes, game. yes, we all love our animals. And so, <laughs> are you, I mean, you're giving a different sort of, you're changing the playing field, and you're leveling it for some and unleveling it for, if, if I were going to go head-to-head against, you know, like, uh, local animal shelter with a cute picture versus like a volunteer match, which is like a heady concept of connecting volunteers with nonprofit opportunities. And you've already yeah. stopped paying attention to me. Yeah. Remember how cute Precious was? Yeah. 
that's a different playing field. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just introduce the framework that Jason has uh, effectively led the give, with the Give Quick platform, which is this ABC framework, right? So it's action shots, benefactor shots, champion shots. And what's been interesting for me to observe this exercise for many nonprofits that may not have thought about their own assets in this way, sometimes they have more content than they realize. And it's more about making the right choices. So uh, I'm sure Jason can explain more, but, but I think that there's an opportunity for us to be smart about the, the way in which these images are portrayed. It's not just the, the cat that motivates someone to share a viral video or the animal that compels someone to give, but it's, it's a little bit more behind that. It's like, well, where is this money going? Who is it benefiting? And who else supports your organization? Uh, next to these impact statements that can also bring a little bit more of the quantitative element to the surface. Yeah, and I think you level the playing field by uh, the ability to increase the frequency of the storytelling um, by getting these you know, smartphones, by using these smartphones and being able to say, look, what was once a monthly correspondence perhaps with a picture, if that can be a more daily correspondence um, of you know, posting the, 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 the equivalency of posting to face your Facebook page. Um, and right now, savvier nonprofits are actively posting to Facebook, but there's no execution mechanism. The only thing you can do is like. Um, there's the only value that, that that like button brings to anyone is, is Facebook, right? And sure, there are uh, incidences now, increasingly so, of nonprofits that are saying, hey, we've got a generous donor that if we get to a thousand likes, they're going to donate a thousand dollars. And that's great, but that's, and, and we believe there will be more of that and you can facilitate those kinds of interactions with the technology that we're building. But going back to your equation of, uh, you know, the kitten ASPCA versus volunteer match, I would go to volunteer match and say, you have a wealth of opportunity for content because every volunteer is going to a specific volunteer engagement and it's got a cell phone in the back po in the back pocket and has the opportunity to take a picture and say I was here and this is what I did and let me upload that and now volunteer match has stories for days as uh, a volunteer match if you're listening just get one of your freaking volunteers and go get precious get a picture <laughs> of this freaking kitten already uh, I want to thank you both for uh, conversation at a time as a wrap-up how do people find you how do people help you sure uh, we are givequick.com, G-I-V-K-W-I-K.com. Um, in case you forget that, we have a variety of different misspelled <laughs> versions of that. Um, we're also giv.nyc is uh, the web URL that we use for our Giving Tuesday uh, campaign. We invite you to check that out. We'll tell the great stories that we're about the nonprofit that we Well, thank you so much again, and good luck next year. December 2nd, countdown begins. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Giving Tuesday, and I love that these guys took a risk in putting on a big event on Giving Tuesday in 2014. In 2013, Giving Tuesday on December 2nd managed to raise uh, about $27 million. In 2014, the final number came to about $45.7 million, that's according to the Case Foundation. Uh, prior to that, 
Whole Whale was predicting that, you know, 2014 they'd raise about $52.5 million. So we weren't that far off our prediction, and I hope that it continues to uh, increase at this rate because it's important uh, as long as nonprofits realize when they are uh, participating to to invest appropriately for the return. You know, if you're wasting all of your annual energy on this one day of giving and not thinking about these other days and, and spreading out your energy, it can really lead to a lot of waste. And ultimately, that's one of my biggest critiques of some of the the crowd voting competitions out there, you know, including the, the Chase Giving, where you have a small group of winners and a large group of participants that spent a lot of uh, communication and relationship equity uh, and their own staff time to to participate in these events with very little reward. So always keep that cost benefit in mind when when you're playing in the crowd giving and crowd voting and competition space. All right, until next time, you can always find resources. Uh, remember, this is episode 24, uh, so you can go to wholewhale.com slash podcast to find more links and helpful bits. Thank you for joining. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us. On our next podcast, we'll be talking with Sarah Durham, founder of Big Duck, their work on quantifying uh, what it means uh, around redoing your brand and what to expect and some of the numbers behind it. So looking forward to that conversation and hope you'll be able to join us. As always, I'd love to thank the the musical assistance of Greg Thomas Band for most of the music that you hear on this show. Today's music also from the artist Brad Sucks. No, I'm not kidding. It's actually the artist's name. You can find them at bradsucks.net.